Hello, I'm Zach Robichaud. And I'm Jackie Mignot. You're listening to The Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We are coming to you from self-isolation, Zooming with people to talk about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners. And we are on a quest to have a conversation around the central Christian belief that God became flesh. strip away some stuff but we're also going to help you put you back together and we're going to create the safest place possible for you to do that hey everyone welcome to this episode in this episode we're actually going to be talking to val lesky who is the founder and artistic director of fire exit theater here in calgary um and we're going to be just talking about the role of storytelling and what it is to embody a story what's powerful about that and it's just such a really great conversation and at some point we're gonna have to get together over actual coffee together face to face uh, this was all recorded virtually uh, because we are all self-isolating yep sad and there's a you know there's a bit of a grief um bit as you know her production company is on hold and the theater is shuttered for the time being Mm -hmm. So there's a sadness there, um, but fortunately Val brings a lot of energy and uh, love and passion to what she does, and uh, I I certainly enjoyed hearing, especially how she described what an actor's life is like. Yeah, that's good. I'm I really loved this conversation. Um, there was one phrase built for story that's going to be, um, we are all built for story. That's going to run around my head for a while. We hope you enjoy it and let us know what you think. I'm Val Lesky. Uh, how do I define myself? <laughs> I'm the youngest of five. My mom's going to be 92 tomorrow, and I'm not going to get a chance to hug her, which is going to really suck. Uh, I'm the founder and artistic director of Fire Exit Theatre, uh, which just abruptly ended uh, its 18th season of theatre here in Calgary. I do a lot of other things too. <laughs> I work with Ambrose University. I, myself and a colleague, we started the theater program there about four years ago, um, which now has blossomed into a lovely fine arts department. So we have a music program, uh, a theater program, uh, and we have the first uh, dance minor at a Christian university in Canada. So wow. we have a lovely sort of call it Ambrose Arts. So myself and my colleague Barrett Heilman, we've facilitated that over the last four or five years. Um, I teach sometimes at other universities. I'm super passionate about uh, culture and creativity and culture making, all of that. Um, uh, I freelance uh, as a writer and a speaker, spoken word artist. Um, I'm, yeah, ridiculously passionate about storytelling and doing that better than we've been doing <laughs> historically um, and telling stories that matter. And uh, more recently, uh, I teach a, a workshop called How to Tell a Good Story with Your Life. Um, so I realized a few years ago uh, that all of the elements that you need to tell a good story are exactly the elements you need to live a good life. 
um, and we often run away from those, especially, right? It's so much easier to just sit on the couch and watch a great story while eating popcorn, the heroes and the people in love and the people risking everything and all the adventure, but we don't actually want to do any of that. Like that's too much. We just want to eat the popcorn. But if we actually got off the couch and loved completely and we were the hero and we, uh, we actually leaned into conflict, um, it would actually make a great life all those things. And so I actually go around and teach that class to CEOs and nonprofits and artists and stay-at-home moms. And um, so, yeah, I do a little bit of that. Um, oh, I, I like that. Think, I, yeah. I don't. We're already that. in love. This is yes. so good. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do in my free time. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt there. No. That's it. Um, that's about what I do. So good. That sounds now, like a very exciting life. Yeah. yeah. Well, right right now, I put pants on some days. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed a little. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. Well, so why don't we get right into this idea of storytelling mm -hmm. and telling a good story mm -hmm. and what are the parts involved with that? Um, where did you kind of start thinking about that and mm. how is it shaped? Where do you find your inspiration for that? That's a big question. I, I would say I was probably initially motivated um, by really bad church drama, mm. which still mm. motivates me to this day. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so to back up, <clears throat> I grew up in a uh, very conservative, uh, evangelical Christian home. My father was a pastor and like we didn't like you know watch tv we didn't go to movies i didn't go to like school dances you know we didn't well i watched the maybe disney maybe that's all i watched i don't like really uber uber conservative so basically i'm a unicorn i'm not sure what happened uh much to my parents chagrin uh, i've not fulfilled any of their life goals for me i have not married a pastor or uh, not married at all i've not bore grandchildren for them and i'm an artist which to them is like what you're a prostitute you're what are you no 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 i'm an actor no, you're a prostitute. No, no. So they're still figuring that out. Uh, my father did pass away a few years ago. So oh. Still not knowing what I really did. Hmm. Um, uh, so I'm not sure, I think, but I know very early on, like I'm talking grade five or grade six, I just remember uh, being mesmerized by story. Um, you know, the bit of television that I did get to watch. I remember grade seven because grade seven is like the first year that you can choose options. Right. And so you could take drama. And so, so my mom maybe did think I was creative. So she made me play the piano for seven years, which like that was the equivalent of like going to the dentist every Tuesday. That was the same thing. <laughs> putting a, Like a hot fork in my eye. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, no, no, but I'm a, I just want to be an actor. Like, no, you'll learn the piano. Yes, you will. That will make some man love you. It did not. Anyway, <laughs> so, but I always do like grade seven, eight, nine, and then getting into high school and being able to really lean into drama. Like, uh, I remember actually my grade nine drama teacher was this terrifying woman uh, and I loved her. And I, I remember seriously going into the drama room, which is like in the, in the basement next to the furnace room, this, you know, no windows and it smells weird. Every single drama room. It, it smells the same. I don't know yeah. why it's the makeup. Or it's the... a lot of un, unkept carpet, right. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in love. I was just like, I don't know what this is. Uh, and like my drama teacher, I remember in grade 
nine, she gave me a hundred percent and she told me she's never given a perfect grade in her history of teaching. <laughs> Cause I think I was just, I don't think I was that good, but I was just so excited every day. Wow. Uh, and then of course, you know, went through high school and uh, all of that and was just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that was. Um, but mm. certainly when I graduated, my parents, number one, didn't have money. So their choices were <laughs> like, you can move out and get a job or we will pay for one year of Bible school. I got a job. Has <laughs> any self-respecting? I don't know. Uh, but I do remember even again, being really young and sitting in my church and them doing these horrific little like skits about the church picnic that was coming up and thinking, I don't know how to do that better, but I know someone knows how to do that better. I, I know that this is, uh, even then, this is a powerful medium that we're not quite getting, that we're using drama to uh, tell people whether to bring, you know, salad or dessert to the picnic, as opposed to like conveying a story. That to say, I literally went out and got a real job when I uh, was in my early 20s. <clears throat> I, I worked with a bank for 13 years. I was a banker. I have grade 11 math. I could, I, math makes me itchy. And somehow... I, I'm German, so I worked really hard and I got promoted and I literally was a banker for 13 years. I was a bank manager. I kept getting promoted. It was ridiculous. Um, and I don't regret that time because I think what that did was actually prepare me to run a company. So it was like getting my MBA. It was like, I learned how to do budgets and financing. I learned how to read a spreadsheet. I learned how to hire people and fire people. I got all of these management skills. Uh, and in the midst of that, I still was like going to theater, um, certainly near the end of my career there. I was, you know, I started taking acting classes and just dabbling, right? Doing workshops. Uh, and I started a little acting troupe at my church then. I called it Acts of God. And uh, again, I didn't really have the tools to teach stuff, but I, they gave me a little budget. And so I said, well, you know, uh, I'll hire people from the community to come in and know how to teach improv or scene study or you know, we started doing dinner theaters and things, but I'm like, we should actually train to know how to do this. Because it's weird because we don't put people on stage in church that, well, we do sometimes, but that don't know how to play the French horn. We just go, oh, you've never taken a French horn lesson? No problem. You should play in the orchestra, but we'll do that with actors. Oh, you know how to memorize lines. You must be a good actor. Here right. we go. And that's embarrassing and mortifying for my craft. But the church continues to do that. They don't hire people uh, you know, to conduct a choir, unless they have a master's in conducting, but they have any drama. Oh, no problem. You, you're an English teacher. Oh, you must know words. So anyways, uh, yeah, that's sort of the long and the short of it. If I just started dabbling and then, well, then one day, probably about, must be almost 15 years now, 15, 16 years, I got fired from my job and escorted out of the building, out of Bankers Hall with my box. And they gave with me a really lovely... Box. <laughs> my banker's box and I remember sitting in the car like on a Tuesday morning thinking uh hmm, wonder what people do on Tuesdays <laughs> I had no other skills to speak of I had never I had not gone to university or college I'm a single woman I had actually just recently bought a house so the really responsible thing would have been uh, for me to take that money and put into RSPs and go across the street and get another responsible job uh, and instead I'm like First of all, I got a, a, a life coach before they were cool, before Oprah had one. And, 
I spent months and months and months with her sort of dabbling with this idea of like, she's like, well, I, I could not say that I wanted to be an artist, right? And so I sort of said, well, I like people. I'm sort of creative. Maybe I could be in HR. Maybe I could be in marketing, fundraising. And I went and found people that did all these jobs. And I, every part in me was just like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't go back to pantyhose. Number one, they're just straight from Satan. And I, I just, I can't do it. And uh, I remember the day so vividly to this day. I remember sitting in a second cup drinking coffee with my life coach and her finally just saying, Val, just tell me what you want, like really want. And I like the words, like, and I, so finally I said almost with shame, like I, I want to be an artist. But before I could say, like she could say anything, I said, but I don't want to be a starving artist. And she said, okay, well then be a successful one. And I was like, like, is that an option? Like, cause I've never been given that option of like, oh, there's choices. I could be the starving one is like, okay, well I choose that. And I just sort of like pressed that button and said, I choose successful artist. Like mm. now after, you know, more than a decade of reflection, um, what was in you that required you to live the life of an artist? That's a good question. I think in that moment I needed, I needed time and I, I gave myself that for the first time uh, in 13 years. I just hit pause. I didn't panic and run out and get another job or take a class or uh, the only thing I did was get this life coach. And that's all I did. I literally, I remember sitting on my front step, which is like a hard concrete, <laughs> like nothing pretty, but it faces the sun. And I spent like a summer, I'd pour my coffee, I'd get up and I would just spend hours and I would read uh, and I would try to find Jesus in the coffee. Uh, and I did, uh, I can't remember where exactly, but in this process, I, I read for the first time a book that every artist uh, well, actually, everyone should read. If you've never heard of it, it's called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's a legendary book. Uh, it's probably 25, maybe almost 30 years old now. And it's a, it's like a recovery book. It's uh, 12 weeks. It's a 12-week program that you go through. Most artists do it numerous times in their life. And she would argue that everyone uh, isn't an artist, but everyone is creative, uh, which I agree with. And so she just talks about all of these uh, hidden stuff that's going on, all the reasons we come up with for not doing it. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too fat, I'm too short, I'm too educated, I'm too poor. I'm too, like, we all have a thousand reasons and we're waiting for the perfect time to do the thing. There's never time, never. When my kids grow up, when I retire, when I, whatever. And so I just remember giving myself time to read, to process the stuff. She goes through, like, again, every week you, there's questions to answer and they're ridiculous and you don't know why you're doing them. They're lists and they're, you're supposed to go on an artist date every, every week. You take yourself out by yourself and maybe you go to a dollar store and buy nice pencil crayons. Like you just, you give in to that. Um, she also makes you do a thing called morning pages. Um, which again, most really good artists, they, they'll do this for their whole life. They will fill binders and binders of writing and you're supposed to do it first thing in the morning. And I started doing that, like literally before you pee, like you roll over, I got to put my glasses on there'd be, and you just unfiltered, put your pen on the paper and write no filter and 
you'll spend weeks and weeks and weeks going, I hate my life. I hate my life. And a lot of bad words will come out. And and then all of a sudden that week two or three, then suddenly there's creative things start to show up. And then pretty soon it turns into prayer. And then pretty soon there's answers in there. And like, yeah. So I did all these little things that I hoped would lead to something bigger. Uh, I think during this process too, I realized I had this thought of like, I do not want to get to the end of my life. And we're all, we're all going to have regrets, period. If you're, if you don't have regrets, you're lying or you've never left your house. Uh, but I want to try to get a handle on some of those regrets. And so uh, I just remember thinking, I want to try, I just want to try. And I literally gave myself one year. I'm going to take some of this money from this package. I'm going to give myself a year. What's the worst that could happen? That I spend all the money ridiculously. I take classes. Oh, maybe I start a theater company. <laughs> How hard can that be for a year, just a year? And then I can go back and be responsible. Like I gave myself a timeline to say, it's okay. I can probably go get a job at another bank. Uh, that's what I'm going to give myself a year. And I did that. And I never went back. Uh, to this day, my mom's still like, do you, do you ever regret, uh, do you want to get a job at a bank? She's like, you could probably still. <laughs> like, no, 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 I cannot. First of all, burned all the pantyhose. They're gone. They, <laughs> so that's going to be a problem. <laughs> but yeah, I I am motivated by not wanting to have regret. Uh, mm. I, uh, my, in the last 15 years, my father has died and two of my brothers have died um, rather horribly. And so I have this like driving sense of like, life is short, uh, let's get stuff done, <laughs> right? Mm. So this is not the conversation I thought we we're gonna have, but it's still a good conversation. <laughs> But how to work mm -hmm. through your own life of, I have these things in me that need to come out right. and be expressed. And I want to express them artistically um, mm -hmm. in the ways that I am drawn to. Right. But how do I do that in this life where I have to then, I feel like so many yeah. of the uh, responsibilities yeah. of getting up and paying the bills and those things. So even what yeah. you're saying about like uh, everyone, there's always a million reasons not to so, um, I've heard them all. Yeah. And I, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Again, so I, think, I, that's I, I don't think yeah. everyone is or has to be a capital A artist, mm, mm -hmm. but I do think we are all created in the image of the great creator. Here's mm. the deal. It's the first way God introduces himself to humanity in the beginning, God created. First five words. He doesn't introduce himself to humanity with, hi, I'm your savior. I'm your king. I'm going to forgive all your sins. I'm going to no, he doesn't. He's like, here's the deal. I am an artist. Let me introduce myself to you and you're created in my image. First way, he defines himself to humanity. So mm -hmm. when people go, I'm not creative, you're lying. <laughs> Right. So again, I don't think everyone's going to play for the symphony, but I think we, we all are creative in some sense of we all chose the, the frames of our glasses. We all choose the color of our hair or not. Um, we, we all what color we paint our walls and um, how we cut our lawn. Like we all have this in, intrinsic sort of aesthetic. Right. So. Uh, and I'm totally fine with people that spend their whole lives being bankers. We need bankers, but they, but they still feel that somehow that, that inner artist, they still, yeah, they sing on a worship team. They do watercolor painting in the basement, the, right? Whatever the thing is, I think when we don't, we lose a part of God inside of us when we do not fill that in some way. 
My mm. bigger issue is the people who actually are talented, but have been told by the world, by the church, by their parents, that's not a real job. Because mm. again, I spend a huge part of my life talking to parents of high school students who love Jesus. And their biggest question to me when I say, your kid should come and learn theater is, will they be able to buy a house in Calgary? So you're telling me that is your idea of success for your child, that they can buy a house in Calgary. Okay. Life abundant. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe there, maybe you should think about, uh, maybe God is saying uh, success for your child is that they tell amazing stories, that they live out what they were put on the planet to do and what I put inside of them. So nowhere does it say, does God say, follow me, you'll be able to buy a house in Calgary. You'll be able to contribute regularly to RSPs. Your parents will be happy. He's like, oh, no, follow me. You'll probably get eaten by a whale. You'll go to jail. Like, big adventure, right? And I get parents want their kids to be secure and have a better, like, but what is this better life we keep talking about? And zero when, risk. What, yeah, zero, zero risk. risk is the best life. Yeah. What if your kid <laughs> rents a house for the rest of their life? Is that the worst thing ever, but they're actually living out what God put inside of them and mm. coming. And again, I will go in a different direction to say, I believe more than ever that artists in North America are hands down the most influential people, period, more than pastors or preachers uh, or politicians or parents. Who do you think is telling us through 22 minute sitcoms what to believe about sex and gender and beauty and God and generosity? Yeah, no, it, I'm sorry. It's not the preachers. It's not the politicians. So that is, that's so interesting because what is so powerful about art? So you were even saying it like, like drama theater is like a powerful medium. What's so powerful about art and especially your your yeah. discipline that leads to that that has that place in our lives 80 arguably 70 to 80 85 percent of the bible is art like maybe 15 percent of it is didactic preaching do this don't do that the rest of it is songs and poetry and these things called parables they're probably not true i don't know there was a man who had two sons really does it, and does it matter that there actually was this person? There is no stronger truth than comes through parable, right? We, we're built for story. We're built for a three-act structure, a beginning, a middle, an end. Uh, it's, again, how Jesus talked. How come the Bible isn't full of pages and pages and pages of him sort of giving us, do this, don't do that. Here's three PowerPoint slides and an acronym to remember. <laughs> like the, we get so little. If that was the most powerful way to get the gospel out, I feel like the Bible would just be full of sermons. And yet it's full of poetry and rage and haikus I don't, right <laughs> like it's full of all of this stuff where and he tells these crazy stories and then he goes okay go talk amongst yourselves I'll be on the boat having fish and chips right he doesn't usually stop and go okay let me unpack that for you he goes I want you guys to figure it out so to me theater is exactly that is taking an idea a theme a message a gospel and embodying it and putting it out there and then saying, talk amongst yourselves. What do you think this means? Why does it make you feel that way? Um, what is the underlying truth? Uh, and, and that's why I'm passionate about 
you know, part of our byline is telling stories that matter. Um, that I, I will not spend my life telling stories that don't matter. I'm not interested in simply entertaining people by doing Dumb and Dumber 47 or Fast and Furious 62, whatever number they're on. Somebody else is going to do that. Someone's going to tell Anne of Green Gables. Someone's going to do Shakespeare to the end of time. I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm doing thoughtful pieces that will make you laugh and make you cry and break you open to get the truth in, right? I want to break you open, uh, get your defenses down, mm -hmm. and then engage you. What needs to be in a play or how does a play need to be done so mm. that it can be done honestly, mm. um, artistically, mm. whatever that means, mm. uh, so, that, so that it can be done in a way that can be received mm. um, or experienced as mm. authentic? Mm. What does that mean? Yeah. Authentic. Uh, it's interesting because I do think, number one, I think that as with any art form, we need to do the craft really well. So I think that's something else, number one, we haven't done in the church or in Christianity. Right. We've just said, well, God will bless it. But we don't have to really go to school to learn how to be a good piano player or a great screenwriter or, no, 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 what we're doing is like so holy that somehow God, and you know what, sometimes he does, and I hate that. Anyway, that's the thing I'll pick up with God later. <laughs> we'll have words around that. But I'm like, we have to be the best at our craft. So whether you go and get your master's in uh, mm. piano playing or screenwriting, or I, I want to be invited to the table where the big, big guys are playing, right? I don't want to be in this little enclave over here that's doing Christian drama. So number one, I think we need to do our craft really well and honor that tradition in whatever art you're, you're doing. Uh, and number two, I think we got to be brave enough to tell the truth. So, mm. uh, here's what we are afraid of. Uh, and I don't think the world does it great either. So I think we either live too much in the light or live too much in the dark. We're afraid to navigate the complexity and the understanding that we are all capable of uh, really wonderful things. I, I would give someone a kidney and I will cut someone off on Deerfoot. I am both of those people, yep. <laughs> right? Uh, and I love Jesus in the midst. Uh, mm. Here's what not just church drama, but all the Christian movies out there they have put us in a, a horrible position. So they have portrayed God as um, you know, sort of jackpot God. He answers every prayer, every single prayer he answers exactly the way you prayed it. He takes away the cancer. He saves the marriage. He, it's like, oh, I don't know what God you're praying to. Um, he does not do that for me. So mm. we are afraid to start the movie uh, when the marriage has ended, even though you prayed and did all the right things. Now let's start the story there. How do I live my life as a divorced man who loves Jesus? Now let's go from there. But we have to start from like, she left me. I prayed all the prayers. Now she came back. Happy ending. No, no, no. Let's start from where the, the child still dies. The marriage still ends. The bankruptcy still goes through. So now how do I live my life? Right? We are afraid to... Um, show God in a bad light. Um, and we're afraid to show our, our own sin, right? Uh, it's interesting because I think one of the things that I get pushback, I got a lot of pushback when I first started Fire Exit because I was very well known in a Christian community. Uh, I worked for the biggest church. Um, and so, oh, Val started a theater company. She's going to do church drama. Like, I'm not doing the passion play. We have one. It's great. You should go see it. 
uh, and I'm, what I'm doing is also not safe and fun for the whole family. I'm not doing children's theater, like most of the Bible. Uh, so yeah. please don't bring your five-year-old. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got a lot of pushback of, well, I wasn't doing Christian drama. You know, the first time we said damn on stage, I got every letter, every, right. Uh, and so that's fine. <clears throat> Those people went away. This isn't the theater for them. Uh, and I still, I don't certainly get as much because I feel like I've taken my audience on a journey slowly uh, and we've g- grappled with hard things together from abortion to abuse to um, all sorts of stuff. And we've, we've wrestled with that as an audience and they've stayed with me. Um, but I still get pushed back on things like language, which is always interesting to me. I'm like, so you're offended uh, that we said, damn. Um, okay. So for clarity, um, let's talk about what Jesus was most offended by. So the number one thing in the Bible uh, that's talked about is money. So more than salvation, uh, more than marriage or divorce, or like the number one thing that God is offended by is greedy people. And yet I have never put a greedy person on stage, a character, and had people write me letters. And oh my gosh, I'm so offended. You put a greedy person on stage. Mm. That's what God's offended by. But you're offended by the dude who said, damn. And I'm always encouraged people like you can be offended by what you've seen on stage by behavior, because that's you should be offended by sin. It's okay. You can go, oh, that makes me feel bad. Great. Let's unpack that. Why do you feel bad about what you just saw on stage? Good, because God's offended by it too, Mm. often. But do we write off the whole story? Or do we wait for the redemption? Or do we show the consequences of the sin? How do I talk about the light if I can never show the dark? Right. How yeah. can I, you know, I think when we diminish the dark, we diminish the light. Mm-hmm. He died to save a wretch like me. Like he didn't come and just die a horrible death because, you know, I cheated on my taxes. No, he came for the wretches. So, and I have to navigate that. And I don't always do it perfectly of like, how do I not glamorize sin? Uh, how do I, it's a line to say, I want to yeah. tell the truth by these characters. So how do I, tro- you know, show a character who is deep in sin, who is, you know, they don't say darn, shucks. <laughs> and I think I, how do I t- then tell the truth of who these people are, who are far from God? Uh, right and so mm-hmm. I, I again I don't always do that perfectly but I try how do I get people to come along for the story and not totally lose them in the first five minutes right uh but yeah I think yeah. That, that is the thing we have to do better we have we have to trust our audience we don't have to spoon feed them everything mm-hmm. we don't have to say you know we don't have to have a happy ending here's what I have to have in a good story I have to have a hopeful ending Hmm. I doesn't have to be happy. Those are different things. <laughs> so our mandate, our bylaw is uh, hope, challenge, change. So I want theater to change me. And the only way we are changed is when we are challenged. I'm not changing if life is status quo. If I'm rich, fat, and happy, mm-hmm. wh- why would I change? I'm not losing weight till I have a stroke. Let's be clear. Till I have a heart attack. <laughs> right? Like we're not fixing our marriage until our husband comes home and says, I don't really love you anymore. I don't, right. So I have have to challenge people. I have to poke at them to change them. And I will always provide hope in my stories. 
uh, and again, that doesn't have to be a, a big dance number at the end. Uh, sometimes it is the smallest little moment because I believe we are people of hope. And mm. so I don't think the world does a great job of hope. I think they just show all the bad. Uh, and w what's the point? It's nihilism. Pandemic, what, what's the point? Let's all, right? But we are people of hope. So I would like the candle. Um, but I also think on the other side, again, Christians are afraid. So they will just do, yay, the tumor was gone. The family is restored. We are healthy, wealthy, right? right. So there's a, a line of saying, no, I will provide hope. I don't want people leaving my theater so downtrodden. So no, we know how this story ends. Mm -hmm. We know there is hope even in the midst of cancer and divorce and addiction or whatever the thing is, right? So those are my three words that dictate every story we choose, how I run the company, how we hire people, mm. like hope challenge changes. That's it. That's our, that's I, the, right. Yeah. That's so, that's one so refreshing to hear. <laughs> I think I've missed hearing words like that in a long time. Hmm. Um, I, when you were speaking, I was just really um, thinking about maybe the power hmm. that, um, storytelling especially dramatic storytelling holds hmm. is like you said like the power of what we what we believe in is not that hmm. god god saves us but that he creates hmm. and then comes and is with us yeah. after right. um my marriage fell apart you know right. what i mean in the right. real life part of it yeah. um and that really i mean that's where i hit the incarnation hmm. piece like um do you remember, okay, I'm just going to totally tangent for a second. Do you remember um, What Dreams May Come, that yep. movie? Yes. So when I was in high school, this movie came out and mm -hmm. it was, we got sat down by our youth pastor and, were, and was like, this movie is against God. Hmm. This is not a good movie because it just shows, hmm. you know, you get to choose whatever heaven you live in and uh, that's not the truth. And right. so I'm kind of like, yeah, all right. I, I'm 16. I don't really know or care much about anything other right. than the two seats down the little, the boy who's sitting there. Right. <laughs> so, so that goes on. And I, you know, I eventually kind of uh, come out of that time in my life hmm. at that church. And then I do see this movie Mm. And I was so struck, not by what they thought was what was wrong with it, which was, mm. you know, everything's happy ending. You, you right. can be good without God. You get to heaven. Right. The power of that movie was in mm. um, when Robin Williams character sees mm. his wife who is in the pit of despair yeah. and so dark, so depressed. She can't see out. And at the end, he, at one point, he's trying everything he can to save her. And he actually just chooses to stay with her mm, in that mm -hmm. moment. Right. And the way the story goes, it that's what flips the switch. That's what right. um, saves her in effect is right. that she was not alone in that. Um, right. I need to rewatch that, but I just yeah. remember how powerful it was to see an image of someone choosing to be with mm. in the dark. Mm. That was like, Oh, that's yeah. what this faith is about. Not right. the, hmm. not the cosmic, right? Happy ending. Which again, like I, I hear this in your voice. Too, you're like, not. It's not wrong. It's just not the full not the fullness, fullness of what we are pursuing here. Anyway, so yeah. that's what when the power of kind of those storytelling moments where you're so showing that and real it's interesting, life. right? Because you remember the power of that. And oh yeah, it's. 
a few years ago, I so I I do recruiting for Ambrose, and I'm trying to find little eager students who will come, which is getting harder and harder, for the oh, reasons yeah. I mentioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Parents. Yeah. Anyway, I'm like, so uh, I often will go into like Christian or Catholic high schools across Calgary, and you know, I go in on a Wednesday and I say, "Tell me, hey, who went to church on the weekend? Oh, great, you all went great. Tell me what the sermon was about." That. that somebody might remember like one point of the sermon or hey can anybody tell me about star wars the first one oh oh you all know what a wookiee is oh you all okay this is a movie that was made before you were born cool right like why is it again like no matter we're just never going to be that cool at church and believe me i go to a cool church and we all try to be that but the power of a story that you just said of something you remembered when you were 16 that that still lives in you that imagery right there's something about art uh that just again it lives in our body in a different way than a sermon and i'm not Mm. dissing sermons my father was a great pastor i right i'm a teacher of course there is a place there and a time for didactic teaching. Remember this, take this down. Here's some facts. You need to know this. This is good theology. Awesome. But there's something that art does that lives in us differently, right? And actually gives room for the other kind of teaching to come in, right? Mm -hmm. Again, that breaking open that whether that's a beautiful song that comes, you know, right after a sermon that helps right i wish i try to work with pastors all the time and go look i'm not saying that the artists are better than you they want to help you let me come in in the middle of your sermon and instead of you preaching this one point let me do a spoken word piece let me do a let's get a soloist let me do a little dramatic scene that brings home the point i promise you that will live in people I, you know, I've been doing this for decades and I still have people come up to me at my church and go, I remember that little play you did, (laughs) right? Like that I have no memory of anymore of like 15 years ago, some four minute sketch that we did about divorce or, oh, I still remember Like I laughed so hard or that video you did, right? Like, I want you to come out of church being transformed and angry and sad and pissed off. I want you to be like, I didn't, what, I don't know what he was talking about, but I need to think about it. Like, I rarely hear that. If you are not challenged and changed in church the same way you are in theater, we're doing something wrong. Wow. Right? Because I stand yeah. outside of theater Calgary and ATP and other, and the same thing. People are like, oh my gosh, oh, they're, they're laughing and they're crying and they're engaged to fully all their senses. And I can't tell you the last time mm. I came out of church when people were that. They're like, yeah, where should we go? Starbucks? Ah, well, Val, you mentioned, you mentioned the three acts and mm-hmm. it sounds like the, the preaching or the teaching always focuses on the third act. Mm-hmm. And for what I'm hearing about the dramas that mm-hmm. unfold on stage, there's a lot of second act mm-hmm. there with hope, right? Um, but with challenge. And that's where we live. That's where yeah. we're going to resonate most. Yeah. Um, if we don't see that, if we don't hear about the second act at church, we're, we're not mm-hmm. going to resonate with it. It's, right. you know, it's something in the future. Maybe I have doubts. Maybe I okay. have all well, okay, good. I don't have to think about it now because it's way down the road and Mm -hmm. I check these Mm -hmm. little boxes off and great. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. Um, The, I I guess I had a, I, 
one of my big questions that I wanted to ask was how do actors put flesh onto mm. the stories? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, what, what's yeah. the process there? Like, how do you, mm. I guess talking a little bit more about the craft. Mm. I always think, well, to back, to, to diverge a bit. I love that idea of putting flesh on. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, again, when I talk to uh, like these uber Christian parents and, and even the kids that come to us and say, uh, well, I'm, I'm scared. Uh, they're scared to say that word, to portray that character, whatever that is. Like, how do they per- in, uh, inhabit evil, right? As a, as a Christ follower. Uh, and I'm not saying you can't have boundaries as and things that you will and won't do as you should with any job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we get all of these nervous, like, oh, my gosh, I, how, how do I tell that story? Well, we can't all play nuns for the rest of our life. There's not that many good nun roles or priest roles, which priests aren't that great, as we've seen. Anyway, um, <laughs> right. But I love the idea of like the Jesus who who when you think of like so pure so pure, came from the holiest of holy, comes down, puts a stinky, like, oh my gosh, like sweats and pees and bleeds. Like this is the most revolting outfit, <laughs> right? That he lived in, uh, right? For three decades and he lived among us and experienced all the stuff. So the least we could do is also do that as actors. Uh, and again, uh, I-, I can't, express enough i think some people have innate talent in anything but there's something about getting really good training so most people will say it takes 20 years actually to be a really good actor so yeah you, you never stop learning now i can go mm-hmm. into like yeah there are certainly different techniques um i think a lot of really great acting is yeah you got to strip away some stuff uh, some preconceived ideas um you you have to be able to to play a, a wide range of people, to step into the shoes with empathy. Uh, one of the things you learn in theater school early on is, uh, if I have to portray a bad person, um, you cannot judge that person as an actor. Like no serial killer actually thinks he's doing something wrong. Every serial killer thinks, I'm, uh, God told me to do this. Now they're psychotic or they're whatever, but they're not like, I'm a bad person. No, no, they justify. Everybody who does something bad justifies it. So mm-hmm. you can't, as a someone portraying that, I can't stand on the outside and judge them and go, oh, they're bad. No, you have to live inside of them and understand we all do that. We all justify our sin. So we have to have empathy for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good actors are just really, really good listeners. They listen to their scene partner and respond truthfully. Good acting is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Mm. So the circumstances are imaginary. We're not really on the Titanic. We're not really mm-hmm. in space. But the person sitting across from me, my scene partner, is a real person. I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to respond truthfully. Okay? Mm. With the lines given to me and all of the other things. Um, so there's, yeah, it's years and years of learning to be present, learning to, there's, and yeah, there's all sorts of technique there of, of ways to do that, right? Of ways of, of, um, bringing up real emotion when you see somebody cry or somebody laugh, that's not acting, they're real tears. They came from somewhere, right? So again, it's a, for actors being able to access that stuff that we have pushed down for so long, 
And I will caveat that by saying access it in a healthy way. So there are some techniques, you know, they, they often ca just call it method, method acting. You see those method actors that, <laughs> right? They become that mm -hmm. role and they are that role every day for six months on this and they go home. That's not necessarily healthy, right? Mm. Um, if you have to play a serial killer and that you have to live in that and go home to your wife and kids or whatever, it'd be like, that's not healthy. There has to be a way for you to go. I'm going to live in that as truthfully as possible for the eight or 10 or 12 hours. And then I got to let that go. Uh, that I go home and I am someone, this is not who I am. Right. So right. there's healthy techniques to learn to, that we try to teach our students of you can fully embody that and you can fully leave that there. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, different kinds of emotional recall. Um, we teach a technique that's called this, the Meisner technique by a gentleman by the name of Sanford Meisner out of New York. Um, and he talks about the as if, right? We have all, we, have, we can all, Im it's imagine. I, I, you know, for me to cry on stage, um, I don't have to, uh, you know, the method would say, oh, you should dig up some memory from your past that actually happened. So, oh, you found your mother who committed suicide. That's great material. Bring like, really, you're going to bring that up every night. And no, that's horrible. Right. But, you know, for me, I could bring up an as if, as if my mother died. Well, my mother hasn't died. I can go home and phone her, but I, mm. I can imagine how sad that's going to be when my mom dies and I can generate real emotion out of that. And at the same time, I can call my mom. <laughs> Right. So it's a it's a healthier, in my opinion, technique mm -hmm. of being to imagine. Right. Right. Um, the other everything, thing, of, everything you're describing so far sounds like a healthy Christian life. So I'm right? hearing strip away, <laughs> feel, <laughs> listen, Just honesty, listen. imagination. <laughs> so wow. all of those things are like, oh, so mm -hmm. these should be what a Christian life. So an actor is basically embodying what a mm -hmm. Christian life or practicing what a Christian mm -hmm. life should be on stage for us as a living mm -hmm. example, like mm -hmm. Christ. <laughs> That's why I say everyone should have to take one acting class in their life. Everyone. I don't care if you're going to be a business person. I don't care whatever you're going to be to actually learn to be present in our body, to, to be present with another human being mm -hmm. and listen to them and then respond truthfully in that moment. If we could just learn that, Oh my gosh, like I literally see these students transformed, not just as actors, as human beings. Wow. After the, right, even the first semester, I see these shiny little students and they go home for Christmas and their parents are literally like, what'd you do to my kid? <laughs> like they actually come and sit at the table and have conversation with us. They don't hide in the bedroom. They actually are present with us. They're actually aware of other human beings. They actually clean up after themselves. Like whatever the thing is, literally parents are like, What'd you do to my kid? Wow. <laughs> right? So to see them, um, yeah, just be able to let go of it. Acting, really good acting is messy. You have to mm -hmm. fail all the time. You have to show your, uh, you have to ugly cry. There's snot involved, right? Like there's like, you all of these like shiny little Christian students, many of them, right? They came from youth group and have never been allowed to fully express themselves in a healthy, safe environment. Right now, again, there's some theater schools that will strip away all the stuff and then leave you like that. Mm. We, we're going to strip away some stuff, but we're also going to help you put you back together. And we're going to create the safest place possible for you to do that physically, emotionally, spiritually. Right. We're going to make it a safe place. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to challenge you. That doesn't mean you're going to cry the ugly cry. You're going to. But 
to allow these students like to fully explore, right? And I, for me, the other thing about theater that is so um, biblical, it's the, really the only art form that you have to do in community, mm. right? Like I can learn to play the French horn and just like learn in the basement and never leave there <laughs> and just play. I could paint in the kitchen, like for theater to work, you have a script writer, you have a director, a stage manager, uh, then you have the actors and you have the set designer, the costume designer, the props designer, you have the box office person, you have the ushers, you have, like, you have to have all of these things. It doesn't matter how great the actor is, if they're naked on stage or their mic doesn't work or the lights don't come on, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. All of those elements come in when you talk about how do you actually tell the story. It first of all it starts with the page. Like what happened? Is this, is this a great written piece of work? Then a director comes along and sees the power of that and then goes, oh, this is great. And then actually auditions all kinds of people and picks, you know, the five people that are going to be in it. And then those five people have to do the work. And then the costumer comes in and goes, how am I going to tell the story through fabric and texture and color? And the lighting designer is going to say, how do I create this mood with this image? And then the final piece is always the audience. Because again, mm-hmm. like I can be a great actor, but if I'm acting in my basement, that's what crazy people do, <laughs> right? Like I actually have to have an audience that comes live, breathing human beings that sit in the audience mm-hmm. every night and they actually change the performance every night because there's someone different. They're going to laugh at a different place than they did last night and mm-hmm. someone's going to cry or uh, someone's going to like open their candy and put it in their, and you're going to, and the actors are going to, that's the difference between film, right? Like we are going to engage with our audience every night. It's different and makes it alive. Yeah. That seems to me to be such a great one yeah. question I have is, is what's it like to write something mm-hmm. and then have someone read it and, and see something, hear something different than what you thought. Like that terrifying. Is it? Yeah. Cause with, <laughs> cause then do you, do you as a writer, like a, someone who mm-hmm. writes, plays mm-hmm. are are you okay with that do you let that go and let it become what it's going to become or what what is that like as a as a creative person right. yeah I'm so I've been an, an actor and I'm, I'm still a director and a producer and a playwright by far the most terrifying thing is playwriting wow yeah like when I write something and have to give it away and I sit in the back of the theater, like just mortified on opening night, oh, <laughs> like yeah. because it's been in your head for so long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, that's part of the process of being able to let go of this thing and say to trust, they're going to make mm. it better than you ever imagined. Hopefully. Mm. <laughs> right. Like, uh, yeah, I can imagine as I'm writing, I imagine what these characters look like, what they sound like. I'm already, because I'm a director, I'm also thinking of the set design and the whatever, but you know, and for me, a lot of what I do, I produce at my own company so I can have some of that control, but the average playwright puts it out to the world and you know, somebody in Wichita, Kansas produces it that you're never going to see. Right. And so you have to trust (laughs) it's part of the craft to say the director is going to impose their own creativity on it. The actors are going to bring that now it's different because in playwriting it's actually different than screenwriting playwrights Mm -hmm. do have a lot of authority so when i um pay for a play pay for the rights to do somebody's play i really of course i bring my own creativity to it as a director but i cannot alter it in any way like i can't change the words 
Um, I can't change a character's like sex or something. Um, even the, like the setting and things like that. Like I can't take a play that's yeah set in Edmonton and decide I want it to be in space. Okay. Like I can't ultimately change that. Now I can bring again, lots of other creativity to it. A screenplay, when you sell it to a studio, they can do whatever the hell they want with it. Okay. They can change the words. They can change the characters. They can set it as a Western. Like you sign away, they give you lots of money. And really the screenwriters, like they can take the essence of what you've written and change it into something completely different. Wow. I know. Do you think that churches tend to leave things just on the page? Like the Bible, mm-hmm. as we hold it right now, mm-hmm. It's there and it is all supreme and we are afraid to kind of put flesh to it and kind of live out the story as it continued yeah. or, and as it continues today uh, for the yeah. past couple thousand years since, well, maybe what is it? 1700 years since they kind yeah. of closed the book, the canon <laughs> so is holy. And now we have the author on it, the authors. Yeah. Um, like church tends to just kind of leave it at that stage. And we, we've cut out the, well, I mean, for years they had the set directors. If we call the, you know, if we look Mm. at the cathedrals, right. I I don't know if we could kind of just kind of understand like, where do we all fit in this story? If we just leave it at the author, the playwright, it just seems a little bit dead. So much simpler and so much safer on the page to read something, even if it's horrific it's still just on the page. Like, how come we don't do church dramas about like the hill of foreskins? I don't know. Like, we don't want to ever portray that. I feel like if we actually saw that, it, we, we would have a very visceral response to that. Right. Right. You can read that, but it's, there's something about, you know, I think of like the passion of the Christ. We all read the Easter story a hundred times and we even had people dissect it for us and go how horrible it would have been. But until we actually saw like 40 minutes of the crap being beaten out of him and the blood and flesh flat, like we were fortified. We were like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, right. Yeah. Even the best writer cannot possibly fully embody what that looks like. The beauty and the ugly, the, the visceral stuff, right. The snot and the blood and the, all of that. Right. It's mm. yeah. I think it's so much easier. It's safer to just read it week after week after week as opposed to showing it Mm. right yeah and even the difference between again i love film but the difference between film and something live uh there's there's something about that again that tangible human being up there that can hear you breathing that Mm. you know they're spitting when they're talking and they're they they might cough or for there's risk involved they might forget a line it hasn't been edited like this is there there's something so different right and even again when i talk about the offense of like somehow we can watch sexuality and violence and things on film and it's not quite as but as soon as you put that on stage it's like that is really happening in front of me (laughs) right and people have a much different response to that Mm -hmm. especially like in my theater that is small it seats like 150 people like you're right there Mm -hmm. you are breathing the same air right and yeah there's something just so powerful about that where again love film i think you can there's lots of beautiful things you could do there but having that human being up there sharing the space with you is is uh, it just does something differently to both the performer and the audience i think wow which i'm in love with that right i'm just in love with that feeling Mm -hmm. i don't know more and more again i'm like 
being an artist is a high and holy calling on your life. Mm. Um, we are called to be culture makers, to not just sit back and cross our arms and criticize what is happening in the world. I criticize what's coming out of Hollywood, what's coming out of New York or, oh my gosh, because no one cares when you criticize. I'm sorry um, for all those people who are signing petitions and boycotting. No, I'm sorry. Focus on the family. No one cares, right? The, the only way to do, to change culture is to create more culture. Mm. So if you don't like the stories that are being told, we better be better storytellers. We better be training to do that, right? We wow. better be moving to Hollywood and working at Theater Calgary and wherever, right? So we don't like the stories, stop criticizing them or copying them. We better tell better ones because mm. that's actually how we change culture. <laughs> yeah, I will. I and mean, I like how does God trust us with these stories to explore with yeah. him, with yeah. with the truth of our lives and our um, fears and our questions does he trust us enough to to talk about these to embody even the questions we have i think that's a powerful thing we um that you are offering artists are should be really good at uh at mystery at being okay with sort of open-ended stuff of letting people interpret your work Mm. um it's super vulnerable to again to put it out there whether you're a musician or an actor or a writer you put it out there and people get to judge it and say i don't get it or i don't like it thank you so much for um talking with us Recording today has been done online as we are temporarily locked out of the Calgary Central Library and locked into our homes due to the pandemic. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. Support us by rating us and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform.